Amen. Well, we are glad that you're here this morning. Uh, it looks like half of the church is out of town for Memorial Day. Uh, that half looked like was out of town, and then they kind of showed up about 11. Uh, so, so we're glad that they're here. Uh, it is exciting uh, to be able to go next door uh, and uh, eat some hamburgers and hot dogs and spend the day uh, as a church body just loving on one another. So we're excited about that. We're also excited about being able to share in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. So uh, we are excited this morning that you're here. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, as we continue to walk through the book of Matthew. Matthew, chapter 18. We're going to be reading this morning verses 15 through 20. Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two with you, so that by the mouths of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax gatherer. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose upon earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything, that they may ask it, and it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where Two or three have gathered together in my name. There I am in their midst. Let's pray. God, we pray this morning that we would see this text and that we would be able to apply it rightly into our lives. Lord, may your holy word speak to us. May it convict us of our, of our failures. May it convict us of our short-sightedness. Lord, and may we see your word clearly. May we be moved by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. I've titled this morning's message, Get Glad, Not Mad. Uh, don't get mad, get glad. Uh, we, live in a world, uh, we live in a world where, where we are so easily offended by everything. Uh, we're driving down the road, and I am uh, the, the guiltiest party. You're driving down the road, and somebody pulls out in front of you, and you start screaming and hollering and throwing stuff in the car and, 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 and talking about how, how retarded or, or, or how ignorant that person is. Why in the world would they do that? Or, or you, see a, you see a police officer speeding down the road without his lights on, and you think, well, how does he get to do that? Where's, or you see somebody flying by you on the interstate, and where are the cops now? And, and, and we, we are the, the quickest ones to, to get angry and to get, to get frustrated. We're at the grocery store. We're at the grocery store, and the lines are the lines are backed up, and they've got two cashiers working, and there's 17 cash, there's 17 cash registers. And, and you're thinking... Could they not foresee on Memorial Day weekend that they were going to need more than two cashiers? And, and they've got all of these, these cash registers and two people running the cash registers. And now I've got to sit in line for 30 minutes because they only have two cashiers working. And we get all up in arms because of something so insignificant. Well, that has absolutely nothing to do with the text. But it does point out 
our propensity to get angry over stuff that, that really has nothing to do with us. I want us to look at the text. Because the scripture tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that as Christians, we should be full of the joy of the Lord. That, that we, should be, we should be happy. And we should tell our faces that we are happy. Many of us, we, we say we're happy, but, but our, our external communication, our body language, our faces do not communicate that we're happy, that we are always angry and mad and bitter and, and, and we're just unhappy people. I want us to look at the text and I want us to see what Jesus is saying about this passage. Now, we ended last week's sermon talking about Jesus pursuing those who have strayed away from the flock. This passage in Matthew chapter 18 verses 10 and 11 talks about Jesus pursuing that one sheep who is strayed, that one sheep who has gone away. And then he goes right into, right into verse 15, right into verse 15, after, after saying that, that Jesus is going to pursue that one sheep that has gone astray, and he is going to give us an illustration of how that sheep that has gone astray is pursued. Look at the text. In verse 14, he says, Thus it is the will of your Father who is in heaven that not one of these little ones perish, because Jesus is going to pursue that one sheep. And then it goes into verse 15, and it says, If your brother sins, if your brother, if one of these little ones, if one of these beloved, one of these Christians has gone astray, if one of these Christians has sinned, God is going to use his church to pursue him. If your brother sins, go to him. Let him know that he is straying from the fold of God. And if he won't listen, bring two or three and let him know that he's straying from the fold of God. And if he still won't listen, then bring the church, bring him before the church and let him know that, that, that he is straying from the fold of God. And if he's still unwilling, then, then you must conclude that he is not of the fold of God and you must pursue him with the gospel. That is Jesus' exhortation. But I want us to understand something that many of us have, have read this passage, have heard this passage preached, and have misinterpreted this passage. Many of you have in your text, in your Bibles, a little phrase in verse 15 that says, if your brother sins against you. How many of you have that against you in your text? If you notice, in many of your Bibles, there's going to be a little footnote by that. Is there? Yes, no, maybe so. In that little footnote, it should say something like, the earliest manuscripts omit against you. Or, earliest manuscripts may not contain the phrase against you. That's been added later. That's been added later. It was added probably, probably in the 2nd or 3rd century to, to coincide with some of the other Gospels. But the earliest manuscripts say if your brother sins, because the context is not if your brother hurts your feelings, go to him. And if he's still, if he's still un, unwilling to repent because he hurts your feelings, bring it to two or three witnesses. And if he still hurts your feelings, bring it before the church. This has nothing to do with somebody having their feelings hurt. This is clearly about someone straying from the fold of God. Someone, someone in a habitual lifestyle of sin. Well, preacher, how in the world can you say that? Because it's what the text says. 
Jesus says, if I, if, if I have a fold of a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, then I'm going to pursue that one of them who goes astray. And this is how I'm going to do that. If your brother has sinned against you, if your brother has sinned, if he is caught in trespass, then you who are a believer is going to go to restore such a one. Paul encourages us to do this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, if your brother is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual are to restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. The idea is to go to our brother, not because he's hurt your feelings, not because he said something and, 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 and you got all up in arms. Notice the text. It is not about us. It is about restoring someone who is in broken fellowship. I want us to point out something that the scripture teaches us about our own personalities. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Proverbs. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 19. I want us to see what Solomon encourages the wise man to do. Look at chapter 19, verse 11. We who are in Christ are to emulate the characteristics of Christ. Chapter 19, verse 11 The scripture says, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook transgression. Do you see that? Paul said, I'm sorry, Solomon says, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger. That means as we mature in Christ, we should not get bent out of shape about every little thing that that happens. But we should be slow to anger. And look at the second part of that verse. And it is to his glory to overlook transgression. To be slow to anger. To be patient with one another. How many of you know know that your brother and sister in Christ are not perfect? (laughs) Amen. How many of you know that you are not perfect? And, and if we understand, if we understand that we are not perfect, if we understand that, that we are going to do things, we are going to say things, we are going to, to open mouth, insert foot, that, that, that we are going to stick our foot in our mouth so much that we have athlete's tongue, we understand, we understand that, that they also are sinners and that they are going to do things that are not correct, that they're going to do things that are not right. And we who are Christians are to bear with one another. To, to be long-suffering, to be patient with one another. So when we get back to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is not saying if your brother hurts your feelings, then go to him and, 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 and fuss at him and tell him how he's wrong. No, the, the, the text is about someone who is straying from the fold of God, and Jesus is telling us that we who are Christians, that we should be slow to take offense. That we should be slow to take offense. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. Since there is such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding you, let us lay aside every sin and encumbrance which so easily entangles us. And let us look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured, who endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. We understand that Jesus was, was lied about, was falsely accused, that every offense was, was if there was anybody who had the, the right to stand up and say, and say, you have offended me, you have done me wrong, it was Christ. Yet we're to look to Him as our example. And we're to be slow to take offense. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. Another, 
example of this principle. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love. He who covers transgression seeks love. We don't have to get all bent out of shape about every little thing that happens to us. We can emulate Christ. We can be slow to take offense. But because we want to be biblical, there are times whenever offense is made. There are times whenever we are biblical when we are offended. So, the first point there is that we're to be slow to take offense. We don't carry our feelings on our shoulders, but we're to bear with one another. We're to endure others' failures because we know that we are the primary offenders. But secondly, we want to be biblical when we offend. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 18. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 18. If you look at verse 15 and verse 16, verse 17, Jesus gives us very clear instructions when there is a brother or sister who is caught in offense, who is caught in habitual sin that is causing him to stray from the fold. Not somebody who didn't speak to you whenever they came into church and they walked right past you and they didn't say hello. You know, we don't need to bring that before the church. You know, if somebody, somebody woke up in the morning and they had a bad day and they woke up on the, the wrong side of the bed and they were grumpy, you know, we, can, we can excuse that. We can bear with one another whenever they, they were short with us. We can bear with one another whenever we heard on Facebook that they said this or, or somebody tweeted that they said this. and That's okay. We can bear with one another. We can love one another. We can show grace and compassion with one another. But the text says whenever someone is caught in sin, whenever they are in a habitual pattern of sin, which causes shame and disgrace to come to them and to the church, then we have a responsibility to go to them. And notice what the text says. It says, if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. Go and reprove him one to one. Why? Because the scripture also admonishes us that we are to refrain from gossip. And so whenever you call somebody on the phone and you say, look, I heard that so-and-so is involved in this. What should I do? Then you are already, you are already committing sin. You're already being disobedient. Because if you heard that so-and-so was in the midst of, of this or that and you've gone to anyone else other than that individual, then that's sin. The scripture tells us that if we are, if, if a brother or sister is caught in habitual sin, that it's our responsibility to go to them and to admonish them and to gently reprove them with the heart of restoration, with the heart of reconciliation. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, If you uh, bear with one another, but if, if anyone is caught in trespasses, you who are spiritual are to restore such a one. I want us to notice in a spirit of gentleness. Don't forget Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 5 that we must remove the plank out of our own eyes so we can see clearly to remove the speck out of our brother's eye. But there is a biblical mandate of how we are to reprove, how we are to correct our brothers. First of all, we must refrain from gossip. We must keep it between us, keep it as small as humanly possible. 
And if the individual is unrepentant, we must bring in one or two. Emphasis being one or two, not seven or twelve. The idea is we want to keep those who are aware as small as possible. Because gossip spreads like gangrene. It is like cancer. And whenever, whenever there are things that are, that are said and things that are heard, things get misinterpreted, things get miscommunicated, and all of a sudden something that, that was intended, something that was intended to be redemptive in nature and restorative becomes destructive, becomes divisive. And the scripture says, lastly, it says, if they are still unrepentant, bring it before the church. I want to point out that this is only two times in all of the gospel of Matthew where the word church is used. First time is in Matthew chapter 16, whenever Peter makes his proclamation, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and upon you, upon this, I will build my church. It's the only other time that the word church is used in the Gospel of Matthew. Upon this I will build my church, upon this statement that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. It is, it is the same reference. Jesus makes this statement. Bring it to the church. The body of believers. Why? Because the purpose... We looked at last week, God's intended purpose for the fulfillment of the Great Commission is His local church. And if the local church is God's intended methodology for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, we see clearly that the local church is also God's intended methodology and God's intended means for the protection and the, and the discipline of the local church. That God desires for the local church to, to seek and save that which was lost. And God desires for the local church to protect and to, to provide a pure and unblemished bride. To protect the purity and the, the holiness of the church. And so we understand, we understand that, that there is a definite, clear-cut prescription for dealing with sin in the church is to bring that individual, bring his sin or her sin to them privately. And then with one or two witnesses, and then before the church. But I want us to understand that the, the emphasis here is not to escalate. The emphasis here is to seek repentance. If you go to your brother or sister who's caught in sin, and they repent, then the issue's done. It's over. We say, well, well, what happens next week whenever they're caught in the same sin? Well, then you go to your brother again. And if he repents, it's done. And what happens if he does it the next time? Jesus is going to address this in the next few verses. Peter says, how many times we do this? Jesus says, as many times as it takes. The issue is not whether or not you can drag somebody up in front of the church and make a big spectacle, the issue and the purpose is restoration and reconciliation and redemption to promote and, 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 and emphasize the purity and the holiness of the body of believers. So we see 
that we should be redemptive, we should be slow to take offense, we should be biblical when we're offended, and we should be redemptive after our offense. I want us to notice verses 18 through 20, because many of us will take this passage and we'll stop at verse 17, and then we'll look at verses 18, 19, and 20, and we will extract and we will, we will pull that passage out and we'll say, well, this means something altogether differently. Look at verses 18, 19, and 20. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where there are two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. How many of you have, have been to a prayer service and, and, and you know, somebody... Uh, is praying for, for healing or somebody's praying for God to move in a revival and they quote Matthew chapter 18 verse 18 and says if two or three of us gathered and we agree that, that, that God is going to answer us. Has anybody ever been to a prayer service and say well if two or three of us agree then, then, then God has to answer us and if he doesn't then he's a liar. That is not what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about a passage of healing. Jesus is very specifically just said Bring two or three witnesses to your brother, and if he is unrepentant, bring it to the church, and if he is unrepentant, then you are to remove him from the body of believers. You are to remove him from the fellowship. That is specifically what Jesus is talking about. When two or three agree in my name, when two or three, the body of believers agree that this brother is sinned, and he is in a habitual pattern of sin and is unrepentant, then he shall be removed from the fellowship of the believers. He shall be removed from the body. Why? Because we want to punish him? Because we want to, to, to ex, you know, break, bring out the hammer and, 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 and make him a spectacle? No, not at all. We go to the story of the prodigal son. What happens when the prodigal is in the far off land? He finds himself feeding pigs and longing for the slop that he's feeding the pigs. And it's at that moment when the Holy Spirit peels back the scales of his eyes and he comes to him. The, the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 15, he comes to himself and he says, my father's hired servants eat better than I do. Let me repent and go to my father that I might be able to fill my stomach with food and not with slop. And so the purpose for removing someone, the purpose for Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, it says, whatever you agree upon, and if we agree to remove a brother or sister from the fellowship of the church, it is not because we're angry with them, it is not because we don't love them, but it is quite the opposite, because we love them, we want them to feel the consequences of sin. So that they will come to themselves, so that the scales will be removed from their eyes, so that the deceit will be removed from their heart, and they will come to themselves and they will repent. And they'll come back to the body of Christ and come back to Jesus and say, forgive me, have mercy upon me. And then we as the body of believers will be able to throw our arms around them like the Father does and we'll be able to celebrate, we'll be able to, to, to slaughter the fatted calf and put a purple robe upon them and the ring on their finger for my son was dead and now is alive, he was blind and now he sees. We'll be able to celebrate the redemption, be able to celebrate the restoration. 
And Jesus says, for where there are two or three, there I am in their midst. He is talking about this, this position, this issue of church discipline. And it's difficult. And it's hard. And it's not fun. But it's necessary. Why? Because we love each other. Because we love each other. I'll never forget, Daniel was about two, three. He was old enough to talk, so I guess he was about three. Old enough to talk to where other people could understand him. Because at two years old, your children can talk, and you can understand him. At three years old, other people can understand him. So, so he was about three, and we were at Chick-fil-A, and, uh, or maybe it wasn't, no, Chick-fil-A wasn't here. So we were at McDonald's or something, and, and he was in the play place, and uh, he came out, and there was a kid that was fighting with him and, and being real mean and real ugly, and he came out, and he said, Dad, there's a little boy in there, and his parents don't love him very much. I said, well, why would you say that, Daniel? What do you mean? He goes, because he's being mean, and he needs a spanking, and his parents won't spank him. He understood at three years old that the reason that we spank him and that we discipline him is because we love him. The reason that there are clear-cut boundaries and clear-cut parameters that we give him as his parents and that whenever he, he breaks those boundaries and whenever he breaks those parameters, that there's discipline. That that is, an, that is a communication of love. And so we understand that we as believers must be slow to take offense, we must be biblical when we are offended, and we must be redemptive after our offense. So also notice the text. Go back to verse chapter 18, verse 17. And if he refuses to listen to them, let him tell this to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile or tax gatherer. So this means that we as a church are to be mean and ugly to them whenever they refuse to repent. That's what the text says, right? We treat them like a Gentile or tax gatherer. Well, the author of the Gospel of Matthew was a tax gatherer. The author of, by volume, the majority of the New Testament was a Gentile, Luke. What Jesus is telling the church is not to loathe or to hate or to be mean, carry animosity, but understand that if they are caught in sin and refuse to repent, the problem is that they may be unbelievers. They may be in need of salvation, in need of grace. And so your responsibility as a church is to love them, show compassion to them, share the good news of the gospel with them. They should not be considered part of the body of Christ because they have not demonstrated themselves with characteristics that are consistent with the body of Christ, but rather they've demonstrated themselves with characteristics that are consistent of those who are not part of the body of Christ. And so our responsibility to those who are not part of the body of Christ is to love them, to show compassion to them, to show grace to them. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus showed her love. The Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus showed her love and compassion. That is our response to the, those who refuse to repent. Is not to be angry, not to show animosity, but to be redemptive and to love and to show compassion. Jesus is our perfect example. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Luke, chapter 23. Jesus 
hanging upon the cross, makes this statement. The first statement he makes from the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 34. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And those whom Jesus was asking for forgiveness, casting lots, dividing up his garments as they stood by him. I want to point out in John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And as he washes the disciples' feet, Peter jumps up and says, Don't wash my feet. I should be the one washing you. And Jesus says, No, Peter, sit down, close your mouth, let me wash your feet. And then Jesus washes Peter's feet. And he washes Judas' feet. And the scripture tells us in John chapter 13 that just before Jesus washes Judas's feet, that, that the scripture tells us that Jesus had already made a statement that there is one who is here that is going to betray me. So Jesus, being full aware of Judas's betrayal, washes his feet. Being full aware of Peter's denial, washes his feet. Being full aware of the abandonment that Jesus is going to experience by all of the disciples, washes their feet. Jesus demonstrates selfless humility. Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. In John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays for the disciples moments before He knows that they are going to abandon Him. As He's praying for them, Jesus knows that just a few hundred yards away from them, from Jesus, that Peter and James and John and the disciples are sleeping after He's told them, keep watch. The hour is coming when the Son of Man is going to be exalted. Keep watch. My hour has come. Keep watch. And He knows that they're sleeping and Jesus goes away and He prays for them and He says, Father, keep them. Don't take them out of the world, but send your Holy Spirit to keep them, to guard them, to protect them. Knowing all that the disciples would do, all that, that how they would fail Him, Jesus washes their feet, Jesus prays for them, Jesus goes to the cross and dies for them. Jesus is our perfect example. But preacher, you don't know what so-and-so did. No, but I can probably safely conclude that he didn't sell you to an executioner. I can probably safely conclude that whatever you experience, whatever offense, whatever sin said brother or sister is involved in is not as grave as the Roman soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross. It's not as grave as the religious leaders that brought Jesus before Caiaphas, that brought Jesus before Pilate. I can probably safely conclude that the, the sin 
or the habitual transgression that a brother or sister is caught up in is not as grave as the thief hanging on the cross next to him. And Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. We're to be slow to take offense. We're to be biblical when offended. We're to be redemptive after our offense because Christ redeemed us in our sin. To what extent are you willing to go to show the love of Jesus? To what extent are you willing to forgive to show the love of Christ? We want to come to Matthew 18 and we want to give us a a platform to, to blast somebody. We want to give ourselves a justification to call somebody out We want to give ourselves a justification to to bring someone in front of the church when the whole purpose of the gospel of Matthew chapter 18 is to bring someone back from straying from the fold of God, to bring them back into grace, to bring them back into love, to bring them back into compassion so that they may experience the love and the grace that we have received. Let us understand that Matthew chapter 18 is not an opportunity and is not given to the church to make an example of someone. But it's given to the church to demonstrate the grace and the mercy of our Lord. It's appropriate this morning that we're receiving the Lord's Supper on this very day that we're talking about, Matthew chapter 18. We celebrate the Lord's Supper as a celebration of Jesus' death burial and resurrection that purchased for us eternal life. The scripture says in Romans chapter 5, 8 that God demonstrates his great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we were haters of God, Christ died for us and that we are the recipients of grace. The scripture is also very clear. Paul encourages the church in the book of 1 Corinthians that we're to be careful how we receive the Lord's Supper. That if there's broken relationship, if there's sin in our lives, that we need to make sure that we repent of that sin. That we come to the Lord and that we have a right relationship between God and ourselves. And that conversely, that we have a right relationship between our brother and sister in Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning, as we see Matthew chapter 18, maybe God has revealed to you that there's a pattern of sin in your life that you need to repent from. Maybe God has revealed to you that that you need to go to a brother or sister in Christ. You need to seek their forgiveness. Maybe you need to to go to a brother or sister in Christ who's straying from the fold of God and beckon them. Bring them back to the fold because God has ordained the church to be the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Don't let today pass without doing business with the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You that Your Word is true. We thank You that You meet us in our need. We thank You that in Christ we have redemption. Well, there's someone here this morning There's someone here this morning 
who has unconfessed sin. If that's you, I want to invite you to come. The Scripture tells us that if we confess our sin, that He is faithful and just to forgive us. The Scripture tells us that where sin abounds, so grace abounds that much more. There's some of you here this morning who are that prodigal son and you've been straying from the fold of God and this morning the scales have been pulled off, pulled off of your eyes and you've been able to see clearly. And you realize your great need. If that's you, I want to invite you to come to Jesus. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are some of you here this morning who need to experience the redemption that's found only in Christ. There are some of you here this morning who need to make Redeemer your church home. God has called you to be a part of what He is doing here at this place, at this local body. If that's you this morning, I invite you to come. There are some of you here who simply need to grab a brother or sister in Christ and come to this altar. Whatever the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning, may today be the day of decision. In Jesus' name we pray.